Amen. Please be seated. If, uh, if you are an elementary aged human, uh, you can go out these doors and turn to the right and go to your classes. If you're a middle-aged school person, you can head out those doors and follow the, the gaggle of people, and they will direct you to, some, to your class. I love all those little voices. Isn't it great? Um, good morning, everybody. How are you guys? How are you guys doing? Hanging in there? Um, the weatherman said that fall is on the way, but eh, I'll, uh, I'll see that when it gets cooler, when I don't sweat, when I wake up and walk out at, before it's still dark. So anyway, uh, apparently it will get cooler. I was talking to someone earlier, and I think that what will happen is we'll have two weeks of great weather, and then the bottom will fall out, and we'll have like a foot of snow in the second week of November. So um, either way, I have no control over it, so I'm not going to bother with it. So um, we are going to continue today in our series called Call to Life, where we're looking at the book of First Peter. And it's this idea that we can find hope and joy and purpose in every day and in every moment of life. And that sounds really good when we write it as a byline to the title of our sermon series. But when you start living those things out, you start running into a lot of challenges. And so we're going to talk about some of those today. But the reality is that as we look at the Word of God... It says certain things about who we are in Christ and what God has done. And then the believer then has this life that God wants us to live. So the title called to life is very intentional in that we have been called to live the eternal life that we have been given through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So before we uh, jump into our, um, our text today, let's just pray. And ask the Lord to help us understand. Heavenly Father, I, I love you. I thank you that we can sing a song that says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. That when we stand before the white throne of judgment, that we will look and we will, the only thing that we can say is that Jesus died to pay my sin. And he paid it all. And I am here because of Jesus. That is all that we can say. I thank you that we can rest on this great cornerstone of Jesus that you are building upon. Lord, help us today to understand what you're teaching us in First in Peter chapter 2 today. Help us understand who we are. Help us understand our identity. Help us understand what it looks like to, to walk out the faith and the life that you have given us. As you sit in your seats right now, I want you to just pray and ask that the Lord would, would teach you what he wants you to know what you need to learn today. Just ask him to help you today. And as we say all the time, we want to be in the habit of praying for other people. Pray for the person in front or behind or beside you, your, your spouse, or maybe you don't know their name or they're the person you just met. Pray for them, that the Lord would teach them what they need to know today. Lord, encourage us today, rebuke us, correct us, train us up in righteousness today, Lord Jesus. We need you, we confess our need to you, we ask for your help, we look forward to what you will do. We love you, and we pray these things in your risen and exalted name, amen. So we'll be in the <clears throat> book of 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, Treb last week finished chapter 1 with this idea that we are to remember who we are 
we are, we are aliens, that we're strangers, that this place is not our home. Remember our purpose and remember to, to love one another deeply and from the heart. And in verse 23 of chapter 1, he says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And this idea that we have now been born again, that we have this different quality of being because of our faith in Jesus and what the Holy Spirit has accomplished in our lives, bringing us from death to life. Like being born again, we've been spiritually born again. It says, For all men like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you, that we hear the word of God and we respond to the word of God and we are saved when we respond to that message. So going into chapter 2 then, it says, Therefore, because we've been born again, because of this word that was preached to you, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave or long for the pure spiritual milk or the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So we're going to look at these different sections here, kind of 1 through 3, and then 4 through 8, 9 through 10, and then 11 and 12. Uh, we're going to, they're four kind of, they're not really distinct. It's all Peter. We're going to try to figure out what it is that he's saying and how they all fit together. But that first section here, it's because of who we are, because we are born again, something is supposed to happen. So that word for rid is, uh, is really meant for uh, this idea of taking off a soiled garment. So when we have clothes, like we give away clothes to Goodwill or whatever, and most of us have more clothes in our closet than, than anybody in the first century would have any comprehension of having, right? You've you got to remember that like when Jesus, when they took his clothes off, the Roman soldiers cast lots for it because clothing was something that people didn't have very much of. I mean, I've had a few articles of clothing. And this idea that if you had a, a, some clothing and it's all that you had, right, and it was soiled, like, the Bible talks about soiled things. It means like, it doesn't mean that you got dirty in the garden. Soiled like excrement soiled. So imagine if the only clothing you had was stained in excrement and you couldn't get it clean. Well, you would want to take that off, right? You wouldn't want to take it off and be like, oh, I'll scrub it, but it will never smell the same. I'll, I'll just save it for later. I've got some attachment to it, right? No, you wouldn't want to get rid of it, throw it away, and burn it, and be done. We're done with it. Matter of fact, in, uh, in uh, ancient, ancient Christians would often take off their garments and go naked into a baptismal or into the water as this symbol of I am going naked before the Lord, and I am removing my old way of life, and then they would come out of the water and put on a, a new garment. What a beautiful, I mean, that's, <laughs> we're not going to get people naked and dunk them in a horse trough out here in the, in the parking lot. I think there's probably a code against that, but this symbolism of I go into the water and I come out naked. He's washed me totally clean and I put on these new clothing. That's this idea when he says, rid yourselves of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. So malice is like, uh, it's malintent. It's, uh, it's this idea of, of the desire to cause hurt or injury to another person. And when we think about that, we think, well, I don't, I don't want to hurt anybody. Really? Have you never, ever wanted to hurt another person? Uh, I think if we really look deeply, we sometimes want to hurt the people that we love the most. Like we want to. I want to say something that will hurt my wife. I want to say something that will cut my husband. I want to say something that will make my child just stop being so snooty to me. I want to say something to that guy or the guy that cuts me off on the highway. That one's easy, right? You just shake your fist at him and, and they can't really hear you. But it's this idea of, of intent. 
that I, it's a, you have a bad intent to hurt someone, cause someone harm. What would the opposite of that be? The de- opposite of the desire to injure someone would be kindness. Kindness. So you, you take off malice and you put on kindness. The second is deceit. And deceit, that word really means to snare, to grab something by the hand. The idea of like you would, you would set up a snare for a bird. And this idea that you have this little nugget of something that seems like it's true, but it isn't really true in order to grab somebody with your words. And we do that all the time, don't we? We even have a phrase in our culture, right? A little white lie. I mean, come on. The, the second part of the word is lie. Like, we are saying what it is. We're like, but it's white, so that makes it good, right? No. If it's not true, it's not true. And we're supposed to rid ourselves of all deceit. The opposite of deceit would be absolute honesty. Terrifying, right? Terrifying. Can you imagine if you were actually absolutely honest with everybody? I don't mean you say mean things, right? You have to speak the truth and love to people. But absolute honesty all the time? Nuts. But he says to rid ourselves of all malice, all deceit. Those are really attitudes, right? Malice and deceit, it's this desire to manipulate, to lie in order to uh, further myself. The next two things are really actions. Hypocrisy, uh, a, a hypocrite was, a, was someone who, like a, in, in the Greek acting, they would just wear different masks. All the actors were male. They would wear different masks for different characters. And so depending on the mask would be the character that they were. So this idea that someone who is a hypocrite has this pretense of a mask that's over their face, but that's not who they really are. And so he says to rid yourselves of all hypocrisy. The opposite of hypocrisy would be unvarnished truth. Like I take away the mask, I take off the makeup. This is who I really look like. This is who I really am. Scary, right? Think about that. Let's go, go throughout your day, and I'm just going to reveal myself as the unvarnished who I am today. Unvarnished truth. <laughs> the next thing is envy. This one's going to sting a little, so hold on. It is the painful and resentful awareness of an advantage that someone else possesses and then the desire to possess that same advantage. So you look at somebody and you say, look how much money they make. That's an advantage that they have. They have more money than I do. I want that advantage. And if I have to take it from them so they don't have any more, I do it. Look at that person's house. It's nicer than mine. That's an advantage that they have. That gives them the advantage of being happier because their house is nicer than mine. Look at that car. Their car is nicer than mine. Look at those clothes. Their clothes are newer than mine. It gives them an advantage. Look how smart they are or how pretty she is or how thin she is or how handsome he is. That gives them an advantage, and I want that advantage. And if I can't have it, well, I'll make them uglier so that I can be prettier. Oh, we're supposed to rid ourselves of all of that. You know what the opposite of envy is? It is contentment lived out in generosity. You imagine you see someone that you're envious of and you come up to them and say, hey, that you are so content in who you are in Jesus that you come up to a person that you're envious of and you say, I love you because the Lord loves you. How can I pray for you today? How can I be generous with my time? I can't give you any money because it won't make a difference to you, but can I pray for you? I can help you. The opposite of envy is contentment demonstrated in generosity. The last one here is slander. 
And that is just defamation, the idea of defaming someone, using your words to knock somebody down. You see it all the time. I mean, our entire news world is made up of slandering one another. It's amazing. <laughs> it's like the engine that runs our society. Look at these, think about these words, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. That's like the palette by which our world is painted. It's the way that we see the world. It's all okay as long as it's for my own advantage. And Peter is saying, because you're born again, rid yourselves. Take it off like a soiled garment. The opposite of slander is really just praise. Praising someone, building them up with your words. Take those things off and instead put on kindness, honesty, truth, contentment, and praise of other people. And then in verse 2 it says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk or, or the pure milk of the word that verb, the word, therefore, spiritual milk, is really a play on the word logos. And so, hence, the, using your translations, you'll see some say pure spiritual milk, some say the pure milk of the word. The, the clear meaning in the, in the text is that we are to crave the word of God like a newborn baby craves milk. If you've ever seen a baby, when a, new, a baby, a newborn is hungry, man, they eat like every two hours. So our first child, you eat every two hours, so like at midnight or whatever, Jenny gets up. And he had awful reflux, and so it would take her like 45 minutes to feed him. And, but he starts eating two hours apart. So if he starts eating at midnight, he starts eating again at 2. So she feeds for 30 minutes or 45 minutes, and then she tries to go to sleep, and then boom, like two hours later, he's up. And then when a baby is hungry, every ounce of their energy is expended in getting what they need. They cry. They will not be soothed. You can't give them a passy. If they're hungry, you feed a baby. Only thing that makes a hungry baby stop crying is feeding them. And when a child, it is, when it comes out, a newborn is so, they can't do anything, right? They can't talk. They can't reason. They can't do any of these things that we can't give somebody value as a human. And yet there they are, beautiful and treasured and precious. And they do very few things. They poop and they eat and they cry and they sleep and they make everything wonderful, right? So it is. Everything that this child is doing to get what they need, he will root, he will cry, and he knows exactly what to do when it comes time to feed him, right? We are to long or to crave the word of God just like a baby craves milk to be fed. And look at this, so that by it, by this word, this is the same word if we go back up into the context, right? That we're born again, not of imperishable seed, but of the living and enduring word of God. It is by the same word that we will do what? Grow up into our salvation. Or grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So this idea of, listen, you crave the word of God and you, you just devour it. And you don't stop getting hungry for it. And the more you eat it, the more you want it. And that as you do that, it grows us up into our salvation. It doesn't say it grows us so that we can be saved. It says that we're already saved. And it grows us up into that salvation that Christ has won for us. This next section here, he says, as you come to him. So how do we go about living out this, ridding ourselves and craving this pure spiritual milk? As you come to him, the living stone, this is Jesus, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So in, in 4 and 5 here, it's explaining that we come to Jesus. He is this living stone that men rejected, but he was chosen by God the Father and precious to him. 
Very important, this idea of something that men reject, people reject, but that is precious to God. So it says, you also, like living stones. These stones don't do anything, right? But they're firm, they're strong, they're solid. But these are, we are living stones, like Jesus. And we are being built into a spiritual house, like a temple, so that we can be a holy priesthood. This is playing into it and continuing with Peter's explanation of our identity in Christ. A spiritual house. What is the purpose of a temple? Not just to be there, but it's a place of worship. Something happens there. And a holy priesthood who offers spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What do those spiritual sacrifices look like? Well, we just go back a couple verses. We rid ourselves of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. We reject those things as how we live. Now there's a, in the next few verses, he's going to explain some of this rejection. We're going to go down a bit of a rabbit hole, but we're not going to stay there long. So, follow along in verse 6, where he says, For in Scripture, he's quoting a Psalm 118, the same thing Peter quotes in Acts 4, and, and Jesus quotes it. He says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. You can, you can write that one on the wall. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone, which is Jesus, is precious. So I want you to think of um, this. The, the picture here is, is when you build a, build a building, in the a- ancient time, they would take these giant, giant stones, and they would cut them from a quarry, and then they would dress them. And the best of that stone would be the cornerstone. And so uh, the, you'll see it interchanging here, cornerstone and capstone. And this idea that uh, in verse seven here when it says but to those who do not believe the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and the stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall this idea that israel had as a whole rejected jesus as their messiah and in that rejection of their messiah that the gentiles and the jews there's now this new thing called the church that god is going to build and the cornerstone of that is the jews rejected messiah as the is the foundation for the church And he says, notice in verse 7 the contrast. To those who believe, this stone is precious. Jesus is precious to those who believe. But to those who do not believe, it's something that they trip over and fall. You see it all the time. Someone, man, when you recognize your sin, like we sing songs like that, right? We're like, praise, we just, we get it because we know what we've been saved from. But an unbeliever doesn't understand that yet. And so when they see Jesus, they literally just trip over him. They're not understanding who he is. And then in, in verse 8, it says, They stumble because they disobey the message. The message is the gospel, which is also what they were destined for. So when we read this, we think, so we, we, we get in all these uh, word things and this destination, double predestination, all these things, and it's got some destined to fall and some destined for grace and all these things. And it's just, just, if we just read what it says, it says, They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. See, what God is destined is that those who reject the message, they stumble because, remember John three sixteen and 17 and 18? That if you believe on Jesus, you're saved. But those who don't believe on Jesus for eternal life stand condemned already. See, the status of every unbeliever is condemned. They're already dead. And so if you disobey the only thing that can save you, you're destined to stumble because you're already down. You get this idea that people are walking along just fine, but they aren't. The gospel is that all those people walking around who are lost, they're dead in their sin. Dead in their sin. 
And if they reject the only thing that can save them, which is the gospel, they will remain dead in their sin and they will be destined for hell. And we can go back and look at, if you, if you really want, you can dive back in, I encourage you, jump back into Romans 9, 10, and 11, where Paul kind of expounds on some of these themes. They're massive themes in the Bible. They're like, put on your big boy or big girl pants and really get to thinking. Um, some of the hardest passages in the scripture are dealing with this issue. Romans 9, 10, and 11 is looking at Israel and, and how this chosen race has now rejected the Messiah and what are the ramifications of that. I encourage you to dive back in and just lose your face in that. But remember that as you study that and if you don't understand it, that's okay. The Lord loves you and he doesn't require that you understand everything in the Bible in order to be saved. So we're going to move on to chapter, uh, verse 9, excuse me. So we have this idea of ridding ourselves of deceit have this idea that we are being built up, that Jesus is the foundation. He is the cornerstone of this building that he is building. And then we have this incredibly beautiful picture of our identity. But you see, in the contrast to those who reject the gospel, but believers are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful and marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had received mercy, but now, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This beautiful picture of like a chosen people. So we all want our identity to, this is, uh, we, we have identities in some of our ethnic identity or our family identity or where you were born or I'm an Oklahoman or I'm an American or I'm from Texas or whatever. But this idea that you are a chosen people, uh, there's this something that, that, supersedes ethnicity because this was a group of people they were scattered all over the church is made up of all these different colors and 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 languages and cultures and all those people are one chosen people they are a royal priesthood this idea we're not just a holy priesthood set apart but we are a royal priesthood there is the king and there is the kingdom we have rights within that kingdom and we are priests. A priest was supposed to, to minister, was supposed to intercede, was supposed to make sacrifices. We have this job to do as a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. This idea, this group of people that is united around a, a, a central covenant, if you will. Like the nation of the United States, we're a nation because we adhere to a constitution. We are a, a nation in the sense, not in a political sense. And the fact that we are a group of people... We're bound under the same covenant, the new covenant, and we are a holy nation set apart. This, all these different uh, flavors of belonging. And then it says finally, a people belonging to God. Isn't that amazing? You, as a believer, you belong to God. We use this in, uh, with spouses, right? Like you look back at Song of Solomon where he says, I am my beloved's and, and he is mine, where, this, where she is singing back to her husband. And this idea of belonging, like, like Jenny is my wife and I am her Husband, like I wear a ring that tells the whole world, he's Jenny's and, and nobody else's. And this exclusive thing, we, we use it with our kids. We're like, that is my kid. That is my grandkid. That's my, that's my niece. That's my uncle. That's my aunt. That's my cousin. And this familial thing, it's amazing. And God is saying this to every believer. That you belong to him. That you are his. That he looks at you and says you're mine. So that you can declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. That our identity, we'll talk about this in just a second, our identity has a purpose. 
finally, in 11 and 12, it says, Dear friends or, or beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us, on the day of his visitation. So this is kind of, 11 and 12 are going to kind of open up this next section of really the rest of the book of Peter. He's gone through this first, first chapter and part of the second chapter talking about all these concepts of identity. Like we talk about finding hope and joy and purpose. We find that in our identity in the Lord Jesus. And he's going to open up this, this next section. He's like, aliens and strangers. An alien is someone who, who lives in a foreign land but doesn't have the rights of that land, right? So, uh, and a stranger is someone who just is not, is not in where they're supposed to be. We are aliens and strangers in this world. And because of that, we're supposed to abstain from sinful desires. Why? Well, because the ethic of this world is broken. We're supposed to live according to the ethic of heaven. We're supposed to live differently because the one from whom we get our identity his character is different than this world. He is not a liar. He is not a hypocrite. He is not malicious. He is not unkind. He does not slander. So we should not either. So we're supposed to abstain from sinful desires. Why? Because they wage war against our souls. And to live lives in such a way that unbelievers, though they accuse us of doing wrong, that they might see our good deeds, which are going to get laid out in the rest of this book, that they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day he comes to visit again. And when Jesus comes to visit, he's not like bringing cookies. He's coming to reign as king, and he's coming to judge the world for their sin. And so, look at this idea of how we live and its effect on the lost, that they might glorify God when he returns. So what do we do with all this? Um, one is that spiritual growth requires work. Um, work is, is not a four-letter word in that sense. It's a, uh, it is actually a four-letter word, come to think of it, but it, not like that. It's just, uh, it has four letters, but it's not a curse word. So work means that we are actively involved in something, right? Work is not passive, it is active. Spiritual growth requires us to reject the passivity of just sitting there and to take responsibility for growing in the Lord. How do I know that? Well, because Peter says it. He says, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, of every kind. You have to actively rid yourself of it. Why? Because that's not who you are anymore. And then you have to do something. Crave the pure spiritual milk of the word. Spiritual growth requires time in the word. There's just no way around it. This is why Bible translators give their whole lives translating the Bible for people. Because they know that they not only need the, the gospel for salvation, but they need the word to grow. There is no spiritual growth apart from the word of god there just isn't not that's lasting not that does much not that's more than a flash in the pan so my encouragement to you get in the word and, and get the word in you i don't really care how you do it like if you're auditory listen to the bible if you're visual buy a map buy draw some pictures if you are if you like to study and read it study and read it if you if you're going to get it in a sermon, that's one way. Just get it in all the time. I want you to imagine when you think about how hard a baby works to eat when he's hungry. I want you to wake up in the morning and I want you to ask the Lord, make me hungry for your word like a baby is for his mama's milk. Lord, please. And then at the first twinge of that hunger, I want you to get in and devour it. 
Just read it. Read it. Listen to it. Uh, listen to sermons. Go to life group. Get, get the word. And this is why our, our life groups are, are either, want to either be studying the Bible or be studying some book that is talking about a truth in the Bible, right? We don't want them just like reading. It's not a book club. It's a life group. And so we have it, and I need you, I need you, I need to, you need to, we all need to get in the Word, and we're not going to grow without it. So spiritual growth requires the Word. It requires community. You see, as he says here that Jesus is the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, these are plural, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. You and I are these stones. Jesus is the foundation of the church. Church like Big C. He said, it's not what some dude said. It's not some religion. It's not some idea. It's, it's Jesus, the living God, who died for our sins and rose from the dead. He is the foundation, and he is building the church upon himself. He is the foundation, the cornerstone. And we are like living stones being built into a spiritual house. I'm no architect or construction genius, but I know that bricks and stones and all these beams and things, they all work together. Like they don't generally make a building with just one wall. They don't usually make one without a roof. I remember when I was, we built this tree house in our front yard. And well, it's another story, but we were, I was asking dad about how it would work together. And, and I was like, but that doesn't seem like it's going to work with the walls and the foundation and the thing. And he's like, well, once you get it all together, it'll all suck together. You start screwing the things together and whoop. And it'll hold together. Why? Because they, they hold each other up. The walls do. The roof does. It all works together. And if you just build it and just leave part of it, it'll fall over. And in Oklahoma, man, it gets windy. And so it's still up. Praise the Lord. But this idea that we need one another in community because we are living stones that Jesus is building into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. The church, this is terrifying to me, the church, in God's sovereignty, he's given the world the church so that they can have someone who will intercede on their behalf. Isn't that scary? The priesthood in the Old Testament, Peter, there's so many Old Testament allusions in this book. Peter was looking back to the Old Testament priesthood, where the only people who could enter the Holy of Holies was the high priest once a year, and the only people who could enter the rest of the temple were the other priests. They had to be clean and washed, and if they weren't, they would die. But normal folk couldn't just go in there. They could come out and offer sacrifices, but there was this separation. Well, the veil has now been torn, and every believer has access to the Holy of Holies. We can now come into this place, and we are now this temple. And we should call people to us so that we can point them to Jesus. Oh, and guess what? We, we need each other to do that. I need you in my life. You need someone else. We need each other in community. Last night we went to a wedding, and it was really fun. Jenny and I, we, I love wedding. And it was uh, <clears throat> Daniel and, and Madison, now Burton. And we were there, and their whole life group was there pretty much. And so, super fun. So if you know anything about our life groups, they're sort of, we have one life group who's like, it's all, it's, all, it's all the young kids, and we love them. So, like the, I think the average age of marriage in there is like three and a half years, so it's super fun. And they were all there, and we're at these tables with them. But as we're looking at our names, on where the table's assignments are. I was like, oh, oh, we're with such and such. Oh, we're with such and such. You realize that they, of course, very kindly, had put us at a table with people from the vine. And so when we get there, it's like, oh, it's like family. 
we didn't even know all of them super well. Jenny didn't know all of them very well. She's seen their faces. They didn't know their stories. Well, now she does because we sat for two hours at a wedding. Now she does because we got on the dance floor and boogie together. I danced terribly, but it doesn't care. Who may, who, it doesn't matter, I mean, who cares? And so we all got out there and danced. We did life together. We celebrated the wedding of a friend together. And because of that, it does something in community. It forms relationships. It strengthens those things because we need each other. It forms strength between us as these living stones that Jesus is building up in the church, which is why we need it. We need just time together. So if you're not in community somewhere, we talk about this every week, just, just get in it. There's a lot of avenues for it. There really are. And are they all perfect? Um, no. So our, the life group at our house, we have a lot of kids um, it's great, it's noisy, it's just very real, and sometimes we cry and yell, and it's, it's all okay, because we do it together, and our all other life groups function the same way, but we need community to, for spiritual growth, and the last thing for spiritual growth is that we need humility. There's a wonderful passage, if you're into memorizing the Bible, and I'll just be real honest if you're not, you should be, there's uh, Isaiah 66. This is a really good passage to memorize. The reason I say you should be in a memorizing the Bible is because you don't always have one with you. So, he says this, this is the end of this massive, massive book in Isaiah. This is Isaiah 66, 1. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Uh, where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being. The Lord's looking at Israel saying, you want to build me a temple? I mean, really? You want to use some of the dust I made and build some bricks and use some stones and take some of the really pretty dust I made and slather gold all over everything and call it my house? Really? I made a million places just like this one. I made all this. You want me to come live there? And then he says this, to this one I esteem, to this one I will look. This is something that piques my interest. I will hold this person up. This is remarkable, right? He was humble and contrite in spirit, and he trembles at my word. Gosh. That the Lord esteems, holds up, looks to one person who will be humble and contrite in spirit and tremble at his word. Oh. So spiritual growth requires the word, community, and humility. Real briefly, let's look at two other things, a few other things, and then we'll be done. The main thing is uh, this, uh, let God determine your identity, okay? He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Um, don't, we, we, this book has a lot to do about purpose. If you don't know who you are, you're, you will be purposeless. And we live in a world that is deeply purposeless. Our, our entire world is without purpose except to destroy itself. Like we say we're trying to save this and save that, but we're trying to save our own hides is all we're trying to do. Because we're scared. Because we know that there's something coming that, I'm at, that is outside of my control. Don't think that we live in a world that people don't respond to the gospel. They respond to the gospel. They don't respond to jerky Christians telling the gospel. But they do respond to the gospel. But let God determine your identity. Don't let some idiot on a news show or in a newspaper or in a magazine or on Facebook or on Instagram 
or on this news or that news or that show or this show or some lady in a car or some lady on a, on a, on a billboard or somebody wearing a dress or somebody at your office or some neighbor or your mom or your dad or your grandparent or your sister. Don't let or me define your identity. Let God define your identity. And who does he say you are? He says that you are a chosen people. God does not make mistakes. He did not choose you and be like, well, mm, I thought they were going to be a good one. Oh, I screwed that one up. I mean, that Brandon, oh, I had such high hopes for him. But I guess I made a, I guess I chose poorly. He chose you not because we're great. He chose us because he loves us. And he wants to make us into people who look like his son. That you are a chosen people. It's this great doctrine of election that God chose you. Not because you're awesome. Actually because you're really not awesome. That he chose you. If you want to go in and look at Ezekiel 16. We're not going to go into this, this long passage. But it looks at this history of Israel. And it's this gruesome picture. That the Lord took Israel from like this, this aborted fetus in the dirt. And raised her up to be like his queen. And then she turned on him. And yet he's going to love her anyway. His love is what drives him. Because that's who he is. And you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You have royalty in you. You are a priesthood, which means that you have this responsibility to serve, to minister, and to sacrifice. That is our jobs. And it is now expanded to the priesthood of every believer. It's an incredibly important uh, doctrine in the New Testament. It was reserved just for the Levites in the Old Testament. But now every believer has this gift of priesthood. Jesus is the high priest, and we are supposed to function and serve and minister and sacrifice in this world. We are a holy nation, and you have people belonging to God. You belong to God. And why that matters is that when the devil whispers in your ear about all the awful things that you are, God looks at you and says, he's mine. She's mine. So hands off. You heard of mama bears, right? And you've seen mama bears do stuff? Or I've seen auntie bears and granny bears uh, do not get in the way of a woman protecting people that she loves, okay? Uh, the Bible talks about that as a mother, as an actual bear. Don't actually get in the way of a bear and her cubs. I want you to think about how much greater the Lord's love and possession and protection is of you. You belong God. So anything that pushes against that identity, you must reject it. Push it away and believe the truth of the word. Which goes back to the first point that you've got to be in it. Because you've got to know what it says. Why does your identity matter so much? Because you have a purpose. What is your purpose? It is to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That's why we're here. If anybody asks you why you're here, Say, so why do you exist? You say, I exist to declare the praises of Jesus who called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And they're going to be like, what? You're like, yeah. The reason I exist on planet Earth is to declare the praises of him who loved me and called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now that's a conversation starter, right? That is why you're here. It's not just my job. That's all of our jobs is the priesthood of believers.
is to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. To whom do we declare those praises? Well, we declare them to one another in church. We declare them out there in the world. Don't be afraid to do that. Be, it's okay to look like a fool because your identity in God can bear the weight of whatever the world thinks of you. Last two things quickly. One, this place is not our home. We're strangers and aliens here. Have you ever been on a mission trip of any kind, whether it's the inner city of Chicago or, or the Congo, or if you've been in the slums of India, or if you've been in Africa, or if you've been in, 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 in St. Petersburg? I don't care where you've gone. If you've been somewhere as a foreigner, you know what this feels like, right? Don't speak the language. Feel out of place. You don't have the currency. Food smells funny. People are a different color. Feel out of place. Well, guess what? We're supposed to feel out of place here. If you don't feel out of place, something is wrong. If you feel totally comfortable here, if you're like, man, everything here is home, um, you need to wake up. It's not. This is not my home. The new heaven and the new earth, that's my home. I am bound by a new covenant that over supersedes all other covenants here. I am not at home here. And if you ever have felt that longing, like no matter where I go, no matter what I'm doing, no matter what I'm moving, something is wrong, that I'm out of place, that is true because you're not at home here. This place is not our home. We set up tents. We set up houses. We live here. This is not our home. And because it's not our home, we're supposed to live according to the law of heaven and to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against our souls. The last thing is that how we live matters. The rest of 1 Peter is kind of going to expound on this, and it will get... <laughs> it gets hard, don't get me wrong, okay? There are some things that we're going to look at the next several chapters, but that how we live actually matters. And it's all based on our identity and who God says we are. It matters so that we would live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. And just to paraphrase it, that a lost world could see how we love one another, could see how truthful we are, to see how honest we are, to see how kind we are, and that in seeing the good works, to see how we, all these things we're going to look at in the rest of this book, as they see those things, that we would be able to form a relationship with them and tell them about the Lord. Not that they look to us and be like, you're so awesome. We joked about this a couple weeks ago. Look how awesome Brandon is. I want to be like Brandon. No, but so that you stand out, so that you're like a white guy in the, in the middle of the Congo. They're like, um... You don't look like you're from around here. Nope, no, I'm not. Why are you, you're kind when everybody's grumpy? Mm. Mm-hmm. Why are you here? Oh, I've got the answer to that question. I'm here to declare the praises of him who called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. How you live matters. Not to earn his love for you, but to live out your identity. The difference is unbelievably important. Like every Sunday, I don't know what you brought here. I don't know. Some of you I have a better idea. Some of you I don't. Some of you are here for the first time. Some of you are here, and I have zero idea what your week has had. I don't know. But I know that the Lord knows. And I know that this truth, regardless of our circumstances, remains the same. For every believer, this is true, that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. For every unbeliever, it is equally true 
You were lost in your sin and in need of salvation. If that is the place you were in today, listen to the call of the Lord and come to him and be saved. If you are a believer today, I want you to take these few moments while I pray. And as we respond in, in music and in worship, I want you to take that time. We build that time into worship every single week. That you would take that time and that you would lay down the truth that the Lord has laid out for you today and ask him how we should then live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your great love for us. I thank you that you have called us by the, the reality of, of a Savior crucified and risen from the dead. That because we have new life in you, that we can have hope, joy, and purpose in every moment. That when our boss is yelling at us this week because we didn't do something right, when we have three babies crying, we don't know what's wrong, when we keep being flustered because the, the budget doesn't match up with the, the bank account, when everything just seems to interrupt what I want in life, Lord Jesus, I, I, I pray that we would be reminded of who we are. That we would be reminded that we are chosen and beloved, that we are the beloved possession of our Heavenly Father, that we are children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Help us to live out that reality, Lord Jesus. Help us to live out the reality of ridding ourselves of the awful and by walking in the light. Help us find community and stick with it even when it's ugly. Help us find time in your word. We love you, Lord Jesus. Help us walk in the truth that you have taught us and empower us by the Holy Spirit to do that. In Christ's risen name we pray, amen.